Well, good morning. Good to see you all this morning. I want to show you guys something. I only got two pages this morning, okay? So I know that you guys probably see 1 through 23 in the bulletin, but do not be alarmed. All right, so if you've got your Bibles, then open up to Romans chapter 14. And we're going to we're going to talk about verses one through twenty three, but we're going to specifically focus on uh, just a a few verses here. So Matthew 14. Excuse me. Romans 14. Did I say Matthew the first time? I did not. Okay, good. Romans 14. And we're going to look at in particular verses 13 through 19. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual Upbuilding. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's go to God in prayer before we dive in today. Father, I thank you that you see all, you know all. But God, I thank you that you care. God, you care about what's happening in our world. You, you care about what is happening down south right now with the weather. You care about what happened in Las Vegas. And God, not only do you care, but God, you are powerful enough to change broken situations. God, we thank you for that. And God, I ask that as I stand before your people today that you would speak through me and that your spirit would move upon me and upon the hearts and minds of your people. It is in Christ's name I pray. Amen. We all lose when the family feuds. We all lose when the family feuds. Believe it or not, that is a line from a Jay-Z song. Even though I don't agree with Jay-Z's world and life view, that statement is pregnant with truth. There's a lot of truth to that statement. We all lose when the family feuds. Have you guys ever been in a household and mom and dad just, like, they they were kind of bumping heads. They just weren't, you know, the, the... they weren't at the, at, the, at the best of times during that period of time. And whenever that is the truth, whenever that is the case, 
the household just kind of seems off a little bit. And so that's evidence that we all lose when the family feud, when the family feuds. Food may not be the same. The attitudes in the household may not be the same. It's just a weird atmosphere. In Matthew 12, verse 25, Jesus says, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. Now, I want us all to become acquainted with a historical truth during the opening moments of this sermon. This historical truth is that we don't like each other. It's true. We really don't like each other. We've surveyed the top 100 civilizations of all times, and the results are always the same. We genuinely don't like each other. Whether it was the persecution of the Christians in Rome during the time that this letter was written or whether it was the Jewish Holocaust, or whether it was what we saw happen in Las Vegas, or whether it was the transatlantic slave trade. History has shown us again and again that we genuinely don't like each other. Human history clearly demonstrates that it is not the natural disposition of humankind to be loving and caring toward one another. So now that you understand that your natural disposition is not to do what Paul is asking us to do in this text, I want you to further understand that what Paul is asking us to do and what he's asking the Roman church to do is impossible. Yes, it is impossible. You are not able to achieve what Paul is asking of you In these verses, in and of yourself, you cannot do it. I want you to be encouraged by that. Okay? But because Christ's fulfillment of the gospel has made us the family of God, we are able to live lives of unity and charity through the Spirit, which builds up the family of God and brings glory to God. I'll say that again. Because Christ's fulfillment of the gospel makes you and I family, we are able to live lives of unity and charity only through the spirit, which builds up the family, the covenant family of God, and also brings glory to God. Now, in order to understand what's going on here in this passage, I want to take a little bit of time to to build some context. A little bit of context. Sometime between A.D. 41 and A.D. 53, the Roman emperor Claudius expelled the ethnic Jews from Rome because of their feuds over a man named Crestus. They were feuding over a man named Crestus. Some scholars believe that this is extra biblical evidence and a reference to the man Jesus Christ. And during the Jewish expulsion from Rome, the church continued to grow as ethnic Jews and other ethnic groups from around Rome came to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, after a short period of time, the emperor Claudius allowed the Jews to return to Rome. 
And when the Jewish Christians returned, it was honestly almost a recipe for disaster. So the church, as the Jewish Christians had known it, had been completely transformed both ethnically and culturally. And the ethnic Jews were possibly now the minorities in the very church that they helped to start. So when returning to Rome, the Jewish Christians, they went to the newly formed Romans village group, right? And at the potluck, the Roman Christians were serving barbecue pulled pork. And they were serving greens with a fat back in it. And they were eating bacon and egg sandwiches. And this was kind of different from the kosher diet of the ethnic Jews. And it kind of kind of caught them off guard a little bit because it was against the norms of their cultural diet. Now, I want us to see that although food is the object which Paul is talking about on the surface here, underneath the surface of this passage are the issues of ethnicity and culture. Underneath the surface of this passage are the issues of ethnicity and culture. And my brothers and sisters, nothing has changed. That is why the word of God will always be relevant for the church. Because nothing has changed. The church to this day still struggles with cultural and ethnic identity. We do the same thing in different areas. Yes, we do. Have you ever heard someone say something like, I remember when the church only used to sing from the Psalms. My, my, what has the church come to today? People will say stuff like, I remember when we only used to sing from the hymnals, like Mahalia Jackson. My, my, what has the church come to today? Somebody thought that was funny. So this is why, again, the word of God will always be relevant for his church. And it, it is into this kind of cultural and ethnic uh, background that Paul is addressing this letter of, of, of Rome, the Roman letter to the Roman church. Paul endeavors to engage the Roman church with the gospel. He wants to engage them with the gospel. Paul says in verse 13, Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. He continues in verse 14. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. So we see here that as the family of God, The family of God pursues unity and charity despite our cultural differences. Paul is asking us as the family of God to pursue unity and charity despite our cultural differences. You see, Paul begins verse 13 uh, with a concluding thought that summarizes verses 1 through 12. The first 12 verses give us a glimpse into this family feud happening within the Roman church. Paul says that everything they do, all of the Roman church, all of the Roman church's good works, their enjoyment or their abstaining from food should all be done to the glory of the Lord. 
Paul also asks three defining questions in the first 12 verses. Verse number four, Paul asks, who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? In verse 10, Paul also asks, why do you pass judgment on your brother? And why do you despise your brother? See, these three questions are both pointed and rhetorical. Paul asks these three questions and then he drops the hammer in verses 10 through 12. And Paul declares in verses 10 through 12 that judgment belongs to God and to God alone. So in verse 13, Paul is bold to say that we should not pass judgment on our brother. Rather, we should decide never to put a stumbling block in their way. In verse number 14, we see that Paul is implicitly, implicitly means in a roundabout way, Paul is referencing the law of Moses. Although the ethnically Jewish Christians might not have been trying to keep the Mosaic law, they were uh, trying to maintain their cultural Jewishness by eating a culturally Jewish diet. It would have been, like I said, cultural shock for Jewish Christians to come back from being deported into a gathering with fried bologna sandwiches, shrimp, and catfish. In the law of Moses, these certain foods were categorically unclean. But because Paul knows that Jesus fulfills the entirety of the law, Paul can say with bold confidence that nothing in itself is unclean. And my brothers and sisters, I want to say, I want to encourage you that as the family of God, we do not lose our cultural and ethnic identities. What do you mean by that? I was a black man when I woke up this morning. When I go to bed tonight, I will be a black man. But rather, what Paul wants us to understand is that our ethnic and our cultural identities must be submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Being black isn't wrong or better. Being white isn't wrong or better. Listening to country music isn't wrong or better. Listening to hip hop isn't wrong or better. It's simply just different. So in these differences, in the differences that make up the body of Christ, we as the family of God must pursue charity and unity by biblical compromise. Excuse me. The family of God must pursue unity and charity by and through biblical compromise. Paul continues in verse number 15. He says, For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. He continues in verse 16. So, do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. In verses 15 and 16, Paul, he kind of ramps things up a little bit. If you kind of read these verses, they, they almost seem a bit 
contradictory to verses 13 and 14. So is Paul contradicting himself? Is Paul double-talking the Roman church here? You see, first Paul says he knows that nothing is unclean in and of itself. But then he implies that you can grieve your brother by what you eat. He even goes as far as asking, don't destroy the one for whom Christ for whom Christ died. So what is going on here? There is a common phrase that deals with the subject of biblical compromise that is often attributed to Richard Baxter in the Reformed Pastor. The saying is, in essential things, there must be unity. In uncertain things, there must be liberty. But in all things, there must be love. So my brothers and sisters, Paul is not double talking the Roman church here. Rather, he is encouraging them to pursue biblical compromise. Paul wants to see the faith of weaker brothers and sisters in Christ strengthened and sustained. Chapter 14 opens up with Paul saying in verse number one, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. So Paul shows us that he is concerned with how those who understand their Christian liberties treat those who struggle with their Christian liberties. Paul will even go on as far to say in chapter 15, verse number one, that the strong have an obligation to bear the failings of the weak and not to please themselves. This summer, Game of Thrones was all the rage. Everywhere you looked, there was something about Game of Thrones. And the Christian, like the church, I mean, the church was just in a rage. Uh, Dr. Uh, Kevin DeYoung, who is a, a pastor up in uh, Michigan, he even wrote an article about it. And the question was, is it appropriate for Christians to watch Game of Thrones? Now, before y'all look at me like I'm guilty, I have an opinion about it, but I am not going to share it up here, okay? I'm definitely not going to do that. I definitely have an opinion about it. Uh, But regardless to where you guys and where I fall uh, on the subject of, of, of if Christians should watch things like Game of Thrones, I want to encourage you, just as Paul has encouraged the Roman church in verse 16 here, this is my encouragement to you. Do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. I also want to encourage you with verse number 22 as well. Verse number 22. This is what it says. This is God's word, not Amos. The faith you have, keep between yourself and God. I'll read that again. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. I'm not going to say any more about that. Take that how you want to. So, Paul continues in verse 17. He says, For the kingdom 
of God is a matter is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. He says in verse 18, whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. And he closes out this paragraph by saying, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. So my encouragement to you guys today is that the family of God pursues charity and unity only by the power of the spirit. As the family of God, we can only pursue this charity and pursue this unity by the power of the spirit. Now, if you remember at the outset of this sermon, I encouraged you that what Paul is asking the Roman church to do here is an impossible task. And I told you, I want you to be encouraged by that. And I want to I want to get some audience participation here. All right. So I want you guys to take a moment and think of your least favorite food. Like your least favorite food. Okay. So you got it in your head? All right. So I talked to my brother Nate earlier. And I asked him what his least favorite food was. And Nate shared with me that his least favorite food was steamed spinach. Am I right? Yep. It's okay either way, but after you've seen it to a certain point, you just don't get it back. It's all slimy and it's just weird. He said it gets a metallic taste and it's just like, nah, I'll pass. So is there anything that you can do to make yourself, like, I don't care that you don't like steamed spinach. I want you to eat a huge hunking bowl of steamed spinach. If if Gina brought you a huge vat of steamed spinach and laid it before you at the dinner table, no matter how long she slaved over it, would that make you like steamed spinach? Amen. Amen. Amen to that. Definitely things worse than seeing spinach. All right. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. James, what's your least favorite food? I don't really have one. You don't really have one? What? Okay. What's your least favorite food? Bananas? No. <laughs> What's your least favorite food? Jicama. Jicama. I don't even know what that is. My <laughs> Lord. Is that, so if, if your mom and dad brought you a huge bowl of jicama and was like, eat it, like you wouldn't want to do that, would you? Exactly. See, there it is. So what is my point? What is my point in asking these questions, right? Like, like why did I do that? It is because there is nothing that you can do in and of yourself to make you like something that you don't like. It's just the reality of the way that we're wired. Like I can't, I'm not going to gift Nate for his birthday a huge vat of steamed spinach. I'm just not going to do that. And so Paul asks the Roman church to do something impossible, to, to do something impossible here. And Paul is exercising 
some apostolic authority. He's exercising some apostolic muscle by asking the Roman church to unify across their cultural and their ethnic differences. He's also exercising some apostolic authority in asking those stronger in their faith to make certain concessions and certain compromises on their Christian liberties. Like, I don't know about, about you guys, but I, I enjoy my Christian liberties. I do. You know what I mean? So how can Paul do such a thing knowing that there's already a huge feud going on in the church at Rome? It is because Paul understands that being a member of the family of God has nothing to do with what they consume. Rather, it has everything to do with who consumes them. Amen. Amen. Paul says that the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness, peace and joy that come from the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit alone. It is because of the Holy Spirit that the Roman church can pursue what makes uh, what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. My brothers and sisters. It is a work of God's spirit alone that we can gather with the cultural dynamics that we have here today. This is a work of the spirit because people genuinely do not like each other. It's just the reality of it. And God's spirit alone makes it possible for us to be family. Family with someone who you may not even like otherwise. The spirit alone can make you call someone brother or sister when their skin is a million shades different than yours. Only the spirit can help you to see someone as family when you know that they voted for Clinton or Bush or Obama or Trump. It is only the spirit that can make you view that person as a brother or a sister. It is only the spirit that can make you see someone as family, even though you disagree with the fact that they kneel during the national anthem. It is only the spirit that can cause you to embrace someone as a member of your family when you see them get angry at someone for exercising their right to kneel during the national anthem. Only the spirit can cause you to embrace someone as a family member when your cultural differences only seem to be a cause for division. My brothers and sisters, this is only possible because Christ decided that he would take on flesh and that he would raise from the from the grave after dying on a cross, not for his friends, but for his enemies. You and I were the enemies of God. And Christ died for us. Christ has made us the family of God and we still don't like each other. And it is only through the spirit of God that we can pursue unity and charity. So, my brothers and sisters, as you go about your lives as the family of God, know that you have been enabled by the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit alone, to live lives 
of unity and charity to the glory of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are sovereign. And God, we ask that the content of this sermon would become a reality for us. God, there is so much division in the world today. But God, by your spirit, you have made us family. God, your word calls us as the family of God, one new man. And so, God, if we expect to see unity in the world, it has to start in the church. And, God, even if we don't see unity in the world, God, continue through your spirit to unify your body, the church, so that we can bring glory and honor to your name. It is in the name of the Lord Jesus that I pray. Amen.